0: Good morning, church family. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. Glad that you are with us. We are going to get into God's word here. So we're going to get to Mark chapter 12, verse 13 in just a moment. But let me pray for us as we get going. Father God, we pray that our hearts and our minds would be open and ready to hear from you as we open your word. God, we need you to teach us. And God, we pray that your word would be impressed upon our hearts in a way that we would be changed and we would be desiring to walk more closely with you today. So God, I thank you for family, for church family, for your gracious love to us through Jesus. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 13. And they sent him, and they sent to Jesus some of the Pharisees, and some of the Herodians, to trap him in his talk. This should sound familiar, coming to Jesus to test him. Verse 14, And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? I think it's interesting as you read those words that they come to him with, I tried to read them just now in, in, uh, with, no, um, with no hint to their motive, with no emotion, because if we read their words straight, there's some truth in there. They, they came to Jesus and, the, and their words uh, are acknowledging a couple of things that are true of Jesus, that he is true, that he teaches the way of God. But but is their approach to him as straightforward as that? Look back at verse 13. We see the clue. It says that they came to him to do what? To trap him in his talk. So, you know, and here's the, here's the word on the screen. In the original language our Bible was written in, the word here that's translated to trap him, agreo, I think, uh, is, is usually, the definition is to hunt or to catch, and the most frequent use of this term is as in the hunting and trapping of animals for food. So here these men come to Jesus to trap him. Now, the more and more uh, Dallassonian I am, which is only seven months so, I know we could add to the screen to harvest this. We could harvest the animal, right? So, so here comes these men with this with this underlying their motive and their approach to Jesus to trap him, So they're, they're, they're a hostile, it's a hostile approach. And so if we know that, when we read their words again, listen to them again, kind of knowing their intentions. And they came to, verse, verse 14, they came to him and said to Jesus, "'Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God.'" Does their approach seem as friendly now that we know that? It sounds a little to me like insincere flattery. There's some empty flattery going on here. It's like they're, it's they're, they're, doing, they're trying to do the whole, like, have you ever heard of the method of dealing with people? Kiss, kick, kiss. <laughs> be nice. Tell them the hard thing. Be nice again. It's like this insincere flattery thing going on here where, where they're trying to butter Jesus up so he maybe doesn't pay attention to where they're coming from. But the question follows. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? The question is essentially a political one. They are, um, they are setting the question up to put two sides against each other. They are pitting uh, one side against the other. In their mind, the way they pose this question, in their mind, only one side can be right. It's either—and they've set the question up so that no matter how Jesus answers— he's going to be in trouble with somebody. He's going to be in trouble with the Jews, those devoted to God, or he's going to be in, in trouble with the Romans. So one group that's approaching him wants to hear one answer. One group wants to hear the other answer. A no from Jesus here, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? A no here would mean he's rejecting paying taxes. It would mean he is rebelling against Caesar and therefore those that kind of align with falling into the Roman government and going along with things, and the Roman government themselves would be offended here and be against that answer. If Jesus says yes and shows a willingness to pay taxes, then some would see that as a compromise, that he's somehow compromising, giving in, um, and, uh, and therefore he would alienate those that are so devoted to God that they're trying to keep these things separate. So they come to him with this question, should we pay our taxes or not? Yes, no, and what else could he do? Well, if he's silent or he kind of avoids the question, that's not going to go very well either. So the religious leaders here that come to him with this question, they've, they're going, we got him now. We figured out a way to come to him, put him in a possible spot, trap him into making a, giving a wrong answer, and then we'll get him. So they come to him and they they think they've got, Jesus thinks they've got him. I mean, I'm sorry, the leaders think they've got Jesus trapped. Verse 15. But Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why put me to the test? In other words, why are you trying to trap me? So I'll tell you what, Jesus says, bring me a denarius, bring me a coin, and let me look at it. So here we go. They bring him this coin, and really, here we go. This is the moment of truth. We're going to see how does Jesus handle this situation. They think they've got him backed into a corner. They think they're going to get him in trouble with somebody. How is Jesus going to answer this question? Verse 16. So they brought a coin, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. So you see on the screen an example of a denarius coin from that era. And a denarius actually represents a day's wages, a day's worth of wages for labor. So this would be a decent amount of money. And it's in this coin. And the denarius was the only thing, this coin was the only thing you could use to pay a certain tax that was due. So he asked them to bring him a coin. They said, he says, whose likeness? He he has them look at the coin as you see on the screen. And he says, whose likeness is there and what inscription? and they said to him, Caesar's. So the, the fact that this coin has got Caesar's image and inscription is representative of Caesar and his authority. And it's uh, interesting, I mean, we can't, we can't say this for sure, but it's interesting to think, I mean, it doesn't appear that Jesus had a coin. He has to ask for one. It doesn't appear that he's carrying one, uh, even though he and his disciples will, will owe the tax as well. Um, but he asks them to produce a coin, and Here these guys are trying to pin him down and some of them are saying, we don't have anything to do with the Roman government and they are able to produce a coin. And the fact that they're able to produce a coin says, well, at least least to some extent, they're participating in the cultural and monetary financial system because they produce a coin. Verse 17. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God's. And then the Bible says, and they marveled at him. It, it says they marveled at him because I just described to you the situation they thought they put him in, right? They thought they had him. A yes or a no or silence, and he's toast. But this, they marvel because this is a brilliant Astonishing, perfect answer, and true, and very true, because he is the God-man. This statement is still, to this day, having a tremendous impact. Uh, It has impacted and shaped uh, Western thinking and culture and, and how government relates to the people. So where the leaders had thought they would, their question had put him in this inescapable dilemma, they thought, uh, they thought they had him stuck, but Jesus wasn't stuck at all. Jesus saw or knew really kind of a third option. Instead of seeing these two things as opposed to one another, do I pay taxes or not? Do I support government or not? Do I, do I, am, I, am I in with the governing authorities or am I only in with God. Instead of seeing those as opposites, Jesus sees another option. Instead of seeing these things as mutually exclusive, going against each other, Jesus' response indicates that it's possible to be both, to be appropriately loyal in both areas. His answer shows that there's a possibility of being loyal to the governing authorities and loyal to God at the same time. So, those of you that saw the passage that we're teaching are excited because we're already in verse 17, and that's all that we're covering through today. So we got one more verse to cover, and I, I only need another hour or so, so hang on. So let's first, I want to take this verse, though, and we're going to look at it a little more closely now, verse 17. Let's first consider the first part of the, of the verse, the first phrase. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So he had him him go and fetch a coin, right? And we saw a picture of the coin on the screen. And and at this time, coins, the money, was understood to be property of the person pictured on it. So he asks whose likeness. They say it's Caesar's likeness and his um, inscription. So at the time, this coin would have been seen as owned, property of, Caesar. So by this first phrase on the screen, by this first half of verse 17, Jesus is saying, he explains that we do have certain earthly allegiances. He implies here, by saying, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, he is certainly implying it is right, it is okay to pay taxes. We should indeed pay taxes. In fact, to withhold would be defraud. would be to defraud the government or to cheat. So the first part of the phrase, Jesus definitely indicates that there is an opportunity here for a certain amount of earthly allegiance, a loyalty to the governing authorities that we are under. But the rest of the phrase, of course, shows us that God's kingdom transcends all those things. We'll get to the second part in a a little bit. If you want some... um, further study here. You might want to jot down these verses that are on the screen, Romans 13, 1 through 7, and 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17. Those of you that are go-getters, want something to read later this afternoon, or in your time with the Lord tomorrow morning, you might want to jot those down and have a little further study on this topic. Uh, the passage that we're studying right now in Mark, in many ways, that, that, that what Jesus said in verse 17 is the foundation for the teaching here in Scripture, here we get a little more detail about how we as followers of Jesus are to interact with the governing authorities, with the government we find ourselves living under. So in these passages, you get a little more detail, a little more fleshing out of what God has in mind. But my point in showing them to you is, you may want to check them out later, but my point in showing them to you is, Jesus' answer in verse 17 here in Mark is the foundation for that. Jesus sets the tone for what those passages teach. Now, we're not going to turn to those passages right now, but I will highlight uh, one verse, and that's on the screen. I want to highlight for you here from Romans 13. Let every person, that includes us followers of Jesus, to be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except what? Except from God. And those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. In other words, to follow the authorities that God has put over us in our lives is to follow God and to rebel against the authorities that God has put in our life is to go against God. That would be the the most simple, basic understanding of this, uh, of, of Jesus's words in verse 17, is that it is possible to have compatible loyalties, to be both loyal to the governing authorities that God has put over us and to honor, respect, and worship God with our lives. Now, are there exceptions? Are there times where a Christian maybe can't obey the governing authorities that are put over him, him or her? Yes, uh, a phrase we, we might call civil disobedience, going against the government for the sake of a higher cause or for, for our, in this case for our, our beliefs as followers of Jesus. Civil disobedience is permitted when the government's laws are or their commands are in direct violation with God's commands. You with me on that? So civil disobedience going against the governing authorities. Yes, there are exceptions. Should we go along? Yes. Jesus says we can be loyal to both. Are there exceptions? Yes. If the government is telling us to do something or be somewhere or whatever that is absolutely contradictory to God's laws, then there's opportunity us to follow God as our higher priority. Now, as you can imagine, civil disobedience and, and um, our role as followers of Jesus with the governing authorities is a whole big topic, and we could take lots of time just on it. So I gave you those verses in, in Romans and 1 Peter that you could read, and we certainly could do further study, but that's not in the scope of this morning. So there are exceptions, but here's what I want us to get from Jesus' words in verse 17. What I want us to get is that overall, Christians are called to profound obedience to the government. We should be, one one of our characteristics as Jesus followers, we should be markedly obedient. We should be noticeably careful to follow rules, down to our favorites, traffic laws and Paying taxes and speed limits. How many items are in your grocery basket at that 10-item-only line? (laughs) I mean, we have compatibility. There's there's opportunity here for for loyalty compatibility. We can both honor our governing authorities and we can honor God with our lives. Are there exceptions? Yes. But the point of Jesus' words in verse 17 is, our normal circumstance, under normal, typical circumstances, would be for us to have compatible loyalties, for us to be law-abiding citizens, to not cheat on our taxes, etc., etc., etc. Guys, I'm, I'm a rule follower. I, this the way God's made me. I, I tend to be almost annoying in the way I'm a rule follower. Now, as soon as I say that, I know some of you are thinking, uh, what a liar. I saw him do this or that. I saw him going 36 in a 35 zone. I know. So, but for the most part, I'm a rule follower. And, I'll be, and I know that some of you are rule followers and some of you are not. And, and, uh, and, and rule following is a pain sometimes because I, I, catch, I catch all kind of flack for it, uh, especially when I'm a rule follower down to these smaller things that would seemingly not make a big difference. Because oftentimes, what do we do? We say, well, everybody's doing it. But it really comes down to an opportunity for us to ask God to develop Jesus-like character in us, for us to be different to the world. And one of the ways that we have an opportunity, I think, for God to demonstrate his incredible truthfulness is for us to be changing and be growing in truthfulness and integrity and um, submitting ourselves to the authorities that God has put in our place. In, our, in place over us. So are there exceptions? Yes. Normal circumstances are to, to see how we can be Jesus followers in the midst of the government that God has given us. Um, how then? What are, some, what are some ways we give to Caesar's? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's? Well, we pay our taxes. One of the ways I think we give to Caesar what is Caesar's is by participating in the process of our government. As a follower of Jesus, you have every opportunity to participate in the government system that we find ourselves in in America. You have the, you have the, the ability to vote. You have the ability to protest peacefully. You have the ability to, to circulate petitions and to, get, to, to, to find nonviolent ways of arguing your perspective or in, as followers of Jesus, hopefully to pro- present a side of things that represent followers of Jesus, we can participate in the process. We have an opportunity to, to exercise that. We can take loving action. Christians should resist governments that, that, that compel and command evil. Christians should uh, work nonviolently within the laws of their country to bring about change in laws or leadership. We can do those things. Peacefully, lovingly, nonviolently, lovingly. Thinking of others, considering other opinions, not being so black and white, we have opportunities to give to Caesar what is Caesar's by participating in the process. And another way we must as Christians, 1 Timothy 2 reminds us, it's on the screen, reminds us that Christians are to. it'll be on the screen in a moment, 1 Timothy, let's have that verse, there we go. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for the king's and who are in high positions, so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way? As a follower of Jesus, we must be in prayer for those that God has put over us in leadership. All right, so that's just the first part of Jesus' words in verse 17. So we've considered render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and now we're going to look at that second part of Jesus' response. We give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And really quick, we're going to look at that second part, but I think what I would just want to insert here is that I think another danger on this topic is when we flip um, the priority of the commitment. We, the, I think Jesus here is saying that we can have compatible loyalties. We can be loyal and submit to our government and honor and submit to God in our life. Those two things are compatible, But it is clear from this verse and elsewhere that our supreme commitment, our ultimate commitment, our first priority is to give to God what is God's. So I just want to caution us that we got to be, yes, we can have loyalty to country and government. And yes, of course, we should honor and worship God. This has to take priority And we got to be careful with switching those priorities. And here's where I I just bring up these two terms. And and sometimes these are terms that are used interchangeably, patriotism and nationalism. And and maybe they are almost interchangeably, but I think some people would have us consider them just a little different. And I'll I'll just suggest that. Patriotism or being patriotic. I am a patriotic person. I am so thankful to God for where we live and for the opportunities that the United States of America offers us. And we can absolutely be patriotic. And the way I'm thinking of patriotism is, is, is a love for country. I'm thinking of a patriotism as expressing our thankfulness for where God has us living. And, and, and just yesterday, we had an opportunity to express our thankfulness for our veterans who serve and, and, and give of their time and their lives so that we can enjoy all this. And so I'm thankful for veterans. I'm thankful for my country. I support us being patriotic. I just would want to caution us that, it, that, that we can be patriotic and followers of Jesus. But, but because following Jesus has to take priority, our patriotism should not extend to nationalism. Nationalism, I would say, would be more when we take our patriotic love for country and we make it that we're the only ones, we're the best ones. If you're not American, you're hosed. If you don't live here, you're in deep trouble. If you don't do things the way we do them, you're messed up. We're the only good country. Everybody should be like us, etc., etc. Nationalism is, is, is extending patriotism at the expense of other people. Patriotism is speaking for myself, that I love my country and I'm thankful for my country. Are you with me? Nationalism is speaking for everybody else that my country is best. And then I think as Christians too, we just need to be careful of idolatry here. I think patriotism can easily extend into idolatry for followers of Jesus. And what I mean by idolatry is when we put something in our life more important than God. And I'm as patriotic I think I'm pretty patriotic. I know many of you are patriotic, of course. We gotta be careful that our patriotism does not become idolatry, that our, that our love of country uh, extends more importantly than our love of our great God. You with me? So, here we are, back to Jesus' statement, second half of verse 17. We've covered, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. This is what I want us to think about now. This is the part I've been waiting for. I want us to look at the second part of this phrase, that what Jesus calls us to in giving God's what is God's. This is the part I want us to hear this morning. The other stuff is interesting, how we operate in the government, civil disobedience, how we can have patriotism and compatible loyalty. That's all interesting stuff. This is what I want us to hear this morning. You ready? We are to give God the things that are gods, And right before Jesus taught this, he asked for that coin. Remember that? And he asked for that coin, and he asked what question about the coin? Whose likeness? Whose image is on the coin? Whose inscription is on the coin? And so based on their answer about the denarius, he gave them an answer about Caesar and the denarius. We'll, we'll give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Where else in the Bible do we hear a language like likeness and image? In the creation account, back in Genesis chapter 1, when God creates everything and he creates human beings, in chapter 1, verse 27, here's what we see. It's on the screen. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, in the image of God he created them. It's like me asking, it's like me looking at you and saying, "Whose likeness? Whose likeness? Whose image? Whose inscription?" And friends, if whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, let me tell you that the image looking back at me, the inscription the image looking back at you, me, is made in the image of God. Characteristics, things about us that are that are in the image of God. And so wouldn't this make sense then? As we give to Caesar the things that bear Caesar's image, the coin bears Caesar's image, so we give it back to Caesar. So then if you and I, created by the only true God, maker of heavens and earth, if you and I are created in his image, then just as we give to Caesar what bears Caesar's image, we should give to God what bears God's image. So what's that? Ourselves. All that we are. We bear the image of God. We give to Caesar what is Caesar's and we give to God what is God's. All that we are, heart, soul, mind, and strength. We give our lives for Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse one on the screen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies, your lives, your whole selves as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Father in heaven, you demonstrated your great love for us in that you sent us your son. Father, you are the creator of all. You are the creator of us and you made us in your image because we are yours. And so God, we wanna live lives for you. Father, we thank you for your work coming near to us, loving us through Jesus. Father, we thank you for the cross where your son died so that we might live. God, we thank you that at the cross because of the cross because of Jesus' perfect obedience and sacrificial death and victorious resurrection, that we too can find new life in you. We thank you for forgiveness of sin, that we've been made right with you, as we trust in Jesus that you make us right with you. And Father, not only that, that you've adopted us into your family, that you've called us your own. So we're God, we're thankful that we are made in your image and that you have given us your spirit, that the Spirit of God lives inside those of us who have entrusted ourselves to Jesus. So, God, as we live for you, we want to reflect you. We want to give to God what is God's. We want our lives to reflect your image. We want to worship you. We want to give ourselves for you. And in doing that, we're not even on our own. We, we don't have to try hard our own on our own efforts. But God, you by your spirit is, is living within us, empowering us to change and to live more like you and for that our words and our actions would bring glory to you. So God, we wanna worship you now. Give our gifts because of our thankfulness to you for all that you have done. We will lift our voices to you in song, in thankfulness for all you have done God, I pray this morning that as a result of studying your word, I pray, God, that my desire this morning would be to give you my whole life, my whole self, to your good purposes. And so, God, I pray that for for my friends in this room, everyone in this room, God, that we would increasingly submit to you that we would give to God what is God's, that we would submit to you, that, if, that I pray for us all this morning that if it's our desire to live for you, to give to God what is God's, God, would you, would you help us to lift our voices now and make this song our prayer? We love you and we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.